Hi, welcome to North of 48. I'm glad that you're listening. I appreciate it. It's May 1st, soon to be May 2nd. I've been a little bit longer between um, podcasts than I intended to. Sorry, my intention is to drop at least one a week, sometimes two a week. But um, happy May Day to those people who are celebrating. I know May 9th, I believe, is uh, when they celebrate in Russia. The defeat of the Nazis. And they have a big May Day parade and military equipment. Uh, May 9th is also when I believe that uh, Putin was going to uh, talk about the resolution of the special military operation in Ukraine. Or as, as we up in the West call it, the war on Ukraine. It's day 68 and um, I don't think any of us, well, a lot of people, including myself, didn't think it would come to this, that Russia would do war in the Ukraine, and that they wouldn't, the, so the Russians have been repelled out of Kiev, and they're in the south, uh, the Ukrainians have more weapons coming from the west, so... There's still going to be a lot of hurt, but I want to talk to you about some Canadian stories today, right after the break. So there seems to be a rising sense of urgency among water. Extreme water-related events have steadily increased over the years. 2021 was no exception. During the year, Madagascar, the western United States, Brazil, Kenya, Somalia, southern Europe, and many other places suffered unprecedented heat waves and droughts, while Germany, India, China, Malaysia, South Sudan, and Australia experienced devastating floods. The wildfire season last year was particularly unforgiving around the world, with record-breaking fire-related carbon emissions emanating from Siberia. They had a, quite a few forest fires there. So it's a continuation of increasing water-related hazards. We have a number of flood disasters recorded since 2000 has increased by 134% compared with the two previous decades. And this is coming from an uh, Economist Impact Report. The impacts of extreme weather events and water stress inflict a heavy burden on businesses. Well, yeah, but on people's health, security, and productivity. Last year with the pandemic, water issues also climbed high on the global political agenda. Currently in California, and north of California, they're experiencing drought. They didn't get the winter snows that they needed to fill the lakes and the ponds, and they're now down to conserving water. Well, a little closer to home in the province I live in, I'm going to play you a report, and we're going to talk about it. I should have mentioned that's a report from last year, and this year is actually looking pretty dry too as well. We did not get the snowfall that we needed. Now I want to go to a story about in southern Alberta right now. A rancher, Troy Bischler, he started to panic. In Granham, Alberta, the farmer was in the middle of calving season with 180 cow-calf pairs, and he was running out of water. We maybe have a week left in the dugout, he said. After that, there is really no plan B. Either that water comes down the canal and starts filling the dugout, 
or I don't know, we cannot move these cattle halfway through calving season to another water source. It will not work. The canal he's referencing is water coming from the reserve that has been shut off. He farms in a part of southern Alberta that doesn't get a lot of rain. There's agriculture operations supporting more than 200,000 acres of land and 750,000 head of cattle that rely on irrigation supplied by the Leftbridge Northern Irrigation irrigation district. The water is diverted from the Old Man River through a canal gate on the Bikani Nation Reserve. On April 12th of this year, the Bikani Nation leadership ordered that the gate be closed. Water stopped flowing from the canal. The river is very important to the Bikani Nation, Councillor Rael Houle said. We understand the downstream impacts of farmers and other people who need access to the water, but we also get very protective of our river. It's sacred to us. Houle says that the act of defiance was carefully considered. 20 years after a water rights agreement was signed between the Pecani and the federal and provincial governments, Poole says a lot has changed. For one, the diversion weir on Pecani land is aging and planning for new infrastructure is underway. The province wants to come and build a new weir and the Pecani Nation wants to be a part of that because it's a major project that is happening on our land. After five years of writing to the province with environmental and economic concerns, Turning off the tap was a last-ditch attempt to get the government's attention, and it worked. Two weeks after the gate was closed, water levels on farms dropped dangerously low. The province signed an agreement with the Pecani, promising to work together on the water issue moving forward. The Pecani need to have a seat at the table to make sure that any work that we do on the weir or any infrastructure system is protecting the environment long-term. Jason Nixon of Alberta Environment and Parks Minister said, The canal gate was reopened on Tuesday night. We're finally moving in a good direction, but to be honest, it took till the 11th hour for them to come and talk to the Canny Nation, and that's what we are not happy with, Houle said. From an indigenous point of view, this is a source of a lot of their frustration, says Ken Coates from the University of Saskatchewan public policy professor. When we're put out, when it's a problem for our communities, nothing happens, but when it's a problem for the non-indigenous community, it becomes a matter of crisis or urgency. So this is really a good example of the long-term and even contemporary effects of failing to resolve these historical disputes. Still, for the hundreds of disputes between First Nations and groups and governments across Canada, Coates says infrastructure disrupting protests are rare. In most cases, he says, Indigenous groups take these battles to court, where they often win. Then the question becomes, why are we not resolving them more quickly? The answer, well, um, Coates says, is simply that there has been a lot of appetite for $100 million set settlements, $150 million settlements with First Nations people until recently. If you watch carefully across Canada, there has been a series of settlements in the last six to eight months. Coates credits this change to procedural changes made by the federal government and by the first Indigenous woman to hold the cabinet position, which is Jody Wilson-Raybould. She worked really hard to speed it up, which is a great thing, and she's no longer with the government. So, just like in the States, where people are um, hurting for water, up here in Canada, sometimes we don't do the right thing. Like, the band was just asking to be part of the design and the implementation of the infrastructure. In like five years, the government couldn't get back to them. What is wrong with them? It's these simple things that obviously they should have said yes a long time ago. And the people we elect drag their feet on. It really has me puzzled. So another story is in Equilute, a month without clean water in Canada's north. Equilute 
is very far north, my friends, very far north. But in late September, 56-year-old resident of Equilot, the capital of Canada's northernmost and sparsely populated territory of Nunavut, noticed something was wrong with his water. The kitchen was the first indicator, recalling a chemical smell coming from the water. There are 7,700 Equilot residents who have been left without potable water for over a month. This was in the winter of 2021. It took numerous complaints of suspicious orders, odors to get officials to confirm that the city's water supplies were contaminated with fuel. Since a state of emergency was declared on October 12, 2021, the residents have been warned that local water supplies are unsafe to drink or cook with. The water was so contaminated that officials warned that it wouldn't even be safe after boiling. They thought the spillage of some type of fuel from an underground tank is a likely culprit, but they weren't 100% sure. There's an investigation going on. Faced with the water shortage, residents were forced to stock up on bottled water, quickly depleting the supplies at the city's two main grocery stores. Many residents filled jugs in the icy waters of the nearby Sylvia Grinnell River just outside the city. The water issues were particularly hard on the city's low-income residents, especially those without transportation of their own. The chief of staff of the General Hospital, the only one in town, said that for an eight-day period starting in late October, the hospital was forced to cancel surgeries and procedures that it couldn't do with single-use instruments, as the machine used to sterilize instruments relies on top water. A total of 30 surgery cases were cancelled, and 28 dental cases had to be postponed as well as 8 euro cases. Officials had to deal with the hesitance and reluctance from many area residents who rely on the medical facilities. Early on, women who were pregnant were told to avoid even showering with the water. A warning later rescinded, leaving some with safety concerns about their care. Some 2,000 kilometers away, which is 1,240 miles away, they were given an option to fly these people for maternity care. Luckily, it was only an eight-day period and there were few medical calls. City officials have imported approximately a million liters of water to distribute to residents, both from government and non-government sources, especially as the Sylvia Grinnell River began to freeze over and the residents couldn't get water from the river. Canadian Armed Forces deployed mobile units to treat water from the river and transfer it to city trucks to take it to water depots for residents. It marked the first time the equipment, which has been used for disaster relief in Haiti and the Philippines, is used so far north and in temperatures around minus 15 degrees Celsius, which is plus 5 Fahrenheit. He says, the, uh, Mr. Bell of the Canadian Armed Forces says, the remote location in Canada's north has caused frustration during response effort. There's no other way around it. We can't even bring in enough testing kits from the laboratory in Ottawa because of supply chain issues. Getting things on a plane, engineers, the equipment has been incredibly slow. Well, the Nunavut government extended Equilot's state of emergency through the 23rd of November. It's unclear how long it will last, and the orders will stay in place until they have um, that do not consume order left Equilot shortages have grabbed headlines all over the place. Justin Trudeau committed to resolving these issues by March of 2022. While government numbers say it has lifted over 100, it failed to meet the deadline of lifting them all, all the restrictions that were on the water. None of it is 86% indigenous, and the issue has compounded years of mistrust of the local government. There were already trust issues and it's a constant struggle. Now there's a lack of proper information. Information was not very forthcoming. It makes things harder. Someone botched up. They only found out about the contamination after people had been complaining for 10 or 14 days. Mr. Atorchik believes the issues point to a shortage 
of resources and attention from Canada's more populous southern regions when it comes to northern concern. Somewhere with a million people will drown out the 35,000 people in none of it. The million will get more attention because that's more voters. In Canada, this shouldn't be an issue, he said. The federal government will contribute to help abroad, trying to be like the UN, but they can't even take care of their own. For those who don't know it, most of the Canada's population lives by the United States border, down south. For us people who live in the north, and even farther north, uh, the population um, thins out. I do live in a city that has a million plus people, and down south in Calgary, which is close to the border, has a million and a half people. That being said, again, it's almost a management issue in this country, it seems. We have to be more on the ball, in my opinion. So what is the uh, condition of uh, the city of Equilot water? Well, on January 19th, they put the water onto a multi-tank bypass system, which ran into the river. Residents were advised to boil all water prior to consumption, cooking, and brushing their teeth. Still being treated with UV rays and chlorine disinfection, but it may smell and taste different than the usual treated water and may have a slight discoloration. The decision to move to this tank bypass is following the detection by the water quality monitoring station of trace amounts of petroleum hydrocarbons that entered a treated water. So they moved to a, a multi-tank bypasses. However, they have a boil alert um, advisory in place. So if I was to tell you the problem was fixed, I would be lying. They're still working on it. If you notice through the podcast, this has been about water. So we have the environment. We have drought, pollution, environmental warming, all playing a part, it appears. And then we have a situation where we have water and we pollute it ourselves. Again, it's management. I, I'm awestruck at how we hurt ourselves um, in this country and elsewhere. But we have to have faith in people, I suppose. We need good people to step up and manage these things. Perhaps you're one of them. We will talk to you next time on North of 48. You have yourselves a good week. Bye.